It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something with your own head. Beat it up and I've got no teeth. I'll let her put the clatter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, but it's just a gang from the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. That's right, but the dark heart of the city that we're talking about this week is Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I don't think there's anything dark about Gatlinburg, would no. you say? Well, it it's is. slightly overcast because it could rain, but it's not dark. That's it's r- a beautiful, beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Spring in the Smoky Mountains spring is... Spring has sprung. Incredible. Yeah, it has. Spring <laughs> indeed has sprung. And we have all sorts of beautiful flowers and other kinds of great stuff. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, let yes. us welcome you, friends yes. and neighbors, to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. An hour of doom... And bloom. That's right. And a watchful window of wisdom in a worrisome world. Mm-hmm. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the medical matrimony, the courageous couple, the spectacular spouses, the hosts with the most. And we're here to help the faithful few keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. And you stub your toe. And I stub my toe. Probably <laughs> broke my toe. But, I, you know what? I'm hoping not. <laughs> I'm old, but I hopefully am not that frail. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a wacky woodchuck? Well, her attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists, nor is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. But when the rescue helicopter isn't on the way, when the ambulance is heading in the other direction, what are you going to do to keep your family healthy if a disaster knocks you off the grid? If you don't have the supplies, if you don't have the education, well, could you survive a true catastrophe? Could you help your family survive one? You could do some good in bad times, but 
only if you show the world that you got more sense than a box of rocks <laughs> and get the training that you need. And while you're at it, how about a quality medical kit as well? I can't think of a better place to get that quality medical kit than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Now, wait a second. I, I have met a box of rocks before. Have you? Yes, yes. And I think most people that I've met have more sense than the box of rocks. That you know, I met. we accumulated a box of rocks when we went to Montana and Yellowstone. Wyoming, How Yellowstone Park. How crazy are we that we love to collect rocks? So we found some interesting rocks. We had we we came them. home with a little box of rocks. But we love them because <laughs> I don't know. It just has a memory, and there's just something about a rock. You don't. First of all, you don't have to pay for it. It's a right. memory of where you were. It listens very well to <laughs> your stories. Doesn't, it doesn't talk back, right? <laughs> And it's uh, pretty awesome. No, so, they're beautiful. They just don't have a lot of sense. I Not love- the kind of sense I want you guys to have That's out true. there. <laughs> but if you do get yes. one of our medical kits, they will help you deal with medical issues you'd face in any disaster. They would make your home, your workplace, gosh, even your school or church safer. And they're designed, indeed, by a medical doctor, an MD, and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. I want you guys out there to compare our kits with other kits for contents, quality, and cost. And you know what? You're going to agree our kits are what you should have in your medical storage. Want more proof? Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net. See what folks just like you have to say about our kits and service. And on top of all that, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings accounts. Just look at our special HSA FSA section in our store. Hey, you know what? We learn as much from you as you do from us. Probably a lot more. So come on, connect with the old geezer and the beautiful goddess. It's so easy. And here is Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. And also our one-stop I say shopping, but it's not shopping. It's just where everything is. The Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. Yes. We try to post everything that we put up on that in case people are just real Facebookers and they don't really go to other websites. So our Doom and Bloom page on Facebook will tell you what we're doing and where we are and what our recent media is, whether it's podcasts or videos or, or articles. You can find us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget, mentioning the YouTube channel is Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. And I just want to give a shout out to a couple of YouTubers who have put up videos of ours, uh, question and answer. Yes. We have Canadian Prepper, mm-hmm. which is a, a great guy. His name is Nate. And also City Prepping is the name of his website, but he's also called City Prepper. Yes. <laughs> And um, thank you, Chris, for also today you will have a video up on his channel on diabetes. Yes, that's right. We and talked then, about diabetes. Yep. And we're going to a Q&A tough, again. Tough subject. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially the insulin part. Uh, and we're actually going to hit a trail today if the weather holds out. And we're going to film a... Amy gets bit by a rattlesnake scene. <laughs> we just have to find the rattlesnake. No, 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 no. We're not really going to have Amy bitten by a rattlesnake. We're going to pretend Amy was bitten by a rattlesnake. Right. 
And that is the uh, second video that uh, City Prepping on YouTube has requested. But we'll definitely do something. So we'll do like that. we'll do a scene like that, and then after that part, then you'll come on and explain what you were actually doing and why yes. you were doing what you're doing, and why some of the myths of snake bites are so bad for you. So. That'll be coming up. Absolutely. Oh, I also wanted to thank uh, Todd Sepulveda, who had interviewed us last month for providing us with the content for last week's show. We were in beautiful Asheville, or outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Fletcher. That's right, for the Mother Earth News Fair. We want to thank all the nice people that made sure that they came by the booth and said hi. They really made our day. I didn't tell a whole lot of people. I guess we didn't Facebook it, but I had put it on instagram and i think i may have tweeted it that we were going to be there so i guess i should have told more people (laughs) but we were at the mother earth news fair and thank you again like uh joe said that we appreciate the folks the nice folks that came by oh you know who we hung out with a lot was people from prepper net yes that's right They, uh... they had a booth not too far away and We'd hang out with them, and they'd hang out with us. Yeah, yeah we <laughs> so had a good time. Fun. Yeah, we had an absolutely awesome time. So check out PrepperNet. That's right. And also, I want you guys to check out Survivor's Edge magazine. We are, I think, in this month's issue. and I think you're in pretty much every month's issue, huh? Okay. <laughs> you, well, ha- you still have two on the table that we've got to write when we get back. All right. Well, I am... They keep coming. I'm on it, baby. <laughs> I'm on it. Go. Hey, stay with me, guys, for one last plug. That is for our brand new book, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibiotics in Austere Settings. Have you ever wondered what to do with those fish antibiotics everybody says that you should have? Well, I'm the first guy that said you should have them. But you need to know how to use them wisely, and this book is for you if you are interested in doing that. In Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, we teach you about all sorts of infectious diseases, how to identify common ones that are around today, other ones that are not so common today that you're going to wind up seeing as the medic in a survival group, cholera, typhoid, things like that. How to use antibiotics wisely, as I mentioned, and the individual antibiotics and the diseases each one treats, including dosing, side effects, allergies, pregnancy, and pediatric considerations, much, much more. You've been looking for a book like Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in Austere Settings. For a long time, I'll bet that you will not regret having it in your survival library. Well, again, I mentioned we were in beautiful Gatlinburg, Tennessee, the gateway to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and we are going to do a little special report here on the kissing bug. The kissing bug, no, that's not our nickname for each other, the kissing bugs, and this is not a a little segment on how to kiss bugs. I mean kissing bugs, the invasive species from south of the border that is now, now found here in Tennessee and as far north as Pennsylvania and Illinois. The insect in question, Triatoma sanguisuga. It is called the kissing bug because it tends to bite humans and, and animal victims around the mouth, although sometimes it targets the eyes or other mucous membranes. Now, it's bad enough to have to deal with the redness, itching, and swelling that goes along with insect bites, but there is more. When the kissing bug sucks your blood, well... It defecates. Yep, it poops right on your skin. Oh. And irritated victims, oftentimes sleeping victims, 
tend to rub the poop into the bite wound while scratching the itchy areas. In kids, what happens is oftentimes they get a swollen eyelid on one side. That's called Romagna's sign, and that is a sign that you are dealing with an infection called Chagas disease. And Chagas disease is something that, even worse than getting bit by the bug itself, is a parasite that lives in the poop of the bug. And the parasite is called Trypanosoma cruzi. It lodges itself in all sorts of tissues of yours, heart tissue, intestinal tissue, things like that, and causes Chagas disease, named after a Dr. Carlos Chaga back, back, gosh, back about 100 years ago. Most people only experience minor symptoms, but a percentage of victims can develop really serious stuff, could kill you, diarrhea and vomiting, enlargement of the liver or spleen, an increased chance of having a stroke, no less, an enlarged heart, and irregular heartbeats that can be fatal. Chagas disease is not transmitted from person to person, though, or through casual contact with infected people or animals. That's the good news. It can be spread, however, by infected blood products or from mother to baby during pregnancy. There is also rarely an extreme allergic reaction that occurs in a very small percentage of patients. That's known as anaphylaxis. We've talked about that many times on this podcast. You can avoid Chagas disease by identifying and eliminating the bug that carries it. Adult kissing bugs range from about three-quarters of an inch to about, a, well, I don't know, an inch and a quarter in length. Most, but not all species, have a characteristic set of bands that are around the edge of the body that are striped, sort of orange, red markings, that kind of thing. Their mouth parts appear like a large black extension to the head. They've been called the cone nose bug as a result, sort of one of their nicknames. But look for those little bands of orange and red markings, and they're just along the edge of the body. Now, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they have a set of recommendations to discourage kissing bugs, locate outdoor lights away from buildings, such as homes, dog kennels, and chicken coops, turn off your lights when they're not in use, remove rock, wood, and trash piles from near the home, clear out nests of birds and animals that might be near the home, Seal cracks or gaps around windows, air conditioners, walls, roofs, doors, uh, crawl spaces. Close chimney flues when they're not in use. And, well, be nice and allow your pet to sleep indoors if possible if there are a lot of these kind of bugs in your area. Now, the bottom line is that the kissing bug exists, and so does Chagas disease. But most people, honestly, don't even know they have the disease. Although 300,000 people are thought to have brought the disease in from Latin America, there are really very few cases that seem to have originated in the U.S., even though the bug has increased its distribution all the way up to places like Pennsylvania and Illinois and Tennessee. The bug is here, so you got to know about it, and you, can know, have, you have to know how to treat it. Antiparasitic treatment, well, that's most effective. It's, it's early in the course of infection. In the United States, the treatment with the least side effects is benzonidazole, and it's approved by the Food and Drug Administration, even for use in kids that are 2 to 12 years of age and is commercially available online. You may get better on your own after a few weeks now, even without the treatment, but the problem is, is that the infection stays in your body, and so that's something you really don't want. You want to get rid of it, and so you should take the treatment with benzonidazole. There is a 
I, there's a chance, I'll admit, that you'll have a personal experience with the kissing bug, but honestly, I think it's unlikely to be in your future. But if you suspect you have Chagas disease, make sure you contact your healthcare provider immediately if you possibly can. Hey, you know what? I've written in the past about the difficulties of being the healthcare provider in hostile settings, most notably in an article I wrote called The Medic Under Fire. And that was pretty scary. It was all about a medic in the Ukraine that was shot during the unrest when that nation was throwing off the yokes of uh, the Russians. And sure enough, that medic indeed survived, even though she was shot in the neck. A nation at war has to expect, let's face it, that its medical personnel are going to be targets for the enemy. But there are circumstances, however, where non-military personnel on humanitarian missions become targets even in times of what, I guess we'll put in quotation marks, peace. This is currently the situation in the Democratic Republic of Congo. There are healthcare workers that are battling the Ebola epidemic there. The Sure enough, Ebola has returned and it is now in the Democrat Republic of Congo. That's a place where actually it first showed up near the Ebola River in that country. And there are folks there, healthcare workers that are being attacked and hospitals that are being looted by armed groups under the control of local warlords. In February, a Doctor Without Borders treatment facility was set on fire. And sure enough, recently, a World Health Organization uh, physician a doctor named Dr. Richard Mazzocco, he was killed at a treatment center. And sure enough, other people have indeed been killed in the Ebola epidemic. The Ebola epidemic in Congo, as a matter of fact, now numbers over 1,350 cases, over 880 fatalities. That's a pretty high percentage of fatalities. And that's second only to the West African outbreak of 2014-2016. That's the one in which I actually wrote that book called the Ebola Handbook. Sure enough, that outbreak killed over 11,000 of the 28,000 people infected, including 500 health workers. 500 health workers actually died from Ebola. In the current outbreak, there are about 30 fatalities, and that's since 2018, and just a ton of people that have died, about 30 or more have been health workers. Now, Congo has scores of armed factions that are constantly at odds with each other and the government. They've attacked field hospitals and contested territory with contagion hotspots right in the middle of all this unrest. It's almost impossible to be able to function as a healthcare worker. So in caring for large numbers of infectious patients, gosh, that's complex in the best of times. Imagine what it's like in unstable regions. The health risks to medical personnel come not only from contagion, but from bullets and stones uh, in uh, encounters with hostile locals. I mean, they could be armed groups or sometimes just native populations. They're so highly suspicious of World Health Organization workers and even their own government that they'll greet them with a hail of stones. They believe that the epidemic is a manufactured crisis or that the relief organization or government insiders are trying to import the disease for nefarious purposes. It is a little crazy, but it is something that the folks believe there. And all of this makes the identification and treatment of the sick very, very problematic. Sick individuals may fear presenting themselves to treatment centers 
or might be hidden by their families. Sure enough, the remoteness of some of these areas makes accurately assessing the need for supplies pretty difficult. I mean, it's hard to figure out what is needed if you can't find some of these Ebola patients. And the supplies that these guys are supposed to get that we're trying to send them might be blocked. They might be looted by armed militias. It is pretty scary and very difficult to just even get a handle on what is going on there. At the very least, it's the second largest Ebola epidemic in the world. Now, these obstacles may account for the high death rate from this particular strain of the Ebola virus, 880 out of 1,350. That's pretty bad. It was less than, let's say, about 41, 42% in the 2014 to 2016 outbreak back in West Africa. Now, improved logistics and outreach, that decreased the percentage of Ebola cases that resulted in death from close contact in West Africa from about, oh, I don't know, 60% to about 40%. I think that the death rate dropped simply because we were able to bring in supplies to West Africa that included things like IV fluids and oxygen. Sometimes just dehydration will kill you if you have a serious illness. And that's exactly what happened in the Civil War. A lot of people died because they got dysentery, got very, very dehydrated, and they go into shock and they died. And I think more people, more Civil War soldiers at least, died from that kind of complication of illness than from bullets or shrapnel. With IV fluids and oxygen being available for victims and personal protection gear for medical workers, you found a lot lower death rate and a lot more people surviving from the Ebola cases. Now, the lethal Ebola virus, I want you to tell you a little bit about it. You have probably forgotten from our podcasts from four or five years ago. It's transmitted to humans from animal reservoirs such as monkeys, apes, and fruit bats. These were indeed probably the first infections and they occurred because there were natives that were eating these animals as bushmeat and maybe not cooking them thoroughly enough to kill the organism. Uh, Ebola can also be spread by bodily fluids of those people that are infected even if they have died. Infected humans develop the sudden onset of fever and fatigue that's followed by vomiting, diarrhea, and then you start spontaneously bleeding internally and that is, once you've hit that point, then your death rate chance is, of course, much higher. Now, there is a promising vaccine that's being used in the current outbreak. It's not of very much use to people that are already sick. It might be a good preventative. The good news is that it may decrease the rate of spread of the epidemic. They, I think they've used over 100,000 doses of this stuff so far, and hopefully it will tame this lion of Ebola. Now, despite the seriousness of the issue, the World Health Organization actually recently opted against labeling the current crisis as an issue of international concern. And they reasoned that the disease has not yet crossed borders into other countries, and perhaps due to the dangers of violence to World Health Organization personnel, I'm sure that also played a part. The U.S. State Department, I think for similar reasons, is generally forbidden travel to the area, so the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, well, their participation so far has been limited to technical guidance and perhaps some supplies. Uh, increased security from government troops and UN peacekeepers, that I think is what's going to have to happen in order to stabilize the situation there and not put 
these doctors, these nurses, these other health workers at risk. This is something serious when your doctors are being shot for trying to help people get over the Ebola virus. Uh, unfortunately, you already have a suspicious population there. You start putting in more government troops or even UN foreign peacekeepers. Well, I don't know, you might wind up having the population incited to unrest just by an increased military presence. It is a little scary, and I'm not sure that anything is a win-win situation. Although I recognize that having a bunch of soldiers in your area is most likely not conducive to peace and calm, uh, honestly, desperate situations may require desperate measures. And the key as with many instances of infectious outbreak, is to strategically isolate areas to prevent spread. Now, they've already done that. That requires a military or police presence, so you want to decrease traffic in and out of epidemic zones, and indeed, to some extent, such forces are already deployed. So maybe increasing the security presence around hospitals, at least, combined with maybe some defensive obstacles would maybe receive acceptance by most of the local population. It's hard to say. Oh, here's a factoid that I found interesting. The Congo is the most populous country in the world that uses French as an official language. It actually surpasses even France. I guess like the United States surpasses Britain in terms of English speaking. There are indeed 12 nations, including France, Spain, Italy, Japan, and a number of others that have signed a resolution that would take practical measures to protect medical personnel in areas of armed conflict. Unfortunately, it is a non-binding resolution, and as with all non-binding agreements, it remains to be seen how much of a response is going to be mounted by these countries. Doctors and other hospital personnel, however, in the Congo and in other places, they are in danger, and you just can't stress how important, how essential they are to snuffing out outbreaks of infectious disease. They're in enough risk from contagion with many of these health workers actually having perished from disease. And I think we can all agree that they're right to want protection. So it's time to act to keep health workers safe before a bad situation gets worse in the Congo and we wind up having an epidemic out of control. Hey, let me take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, Gold Wealth Management. You know, when it comes to survival and being prepared, we know the must-have items that immediately come to mind are a complete medical kit and a bug-out bag. Our friends at Gold Wealth Management remind us to have our bug-out bank in place as well. Your bug-out bank should contain physical gold and silver along with three months of living expenses and cash. Call Gold Wealth Management to get a free education about investing in gold and silver and at current prices, the gold and silver market is on sale. Just take a look, and you'll see that I'm right. Call 866-GLD-SLVR. That's 866-GLD-SLVR for more information. That's 866-numerically-453-7587. 866-453-7587. Hey, you know that it is a rare individual that passes an entire lifetime without breaking a bone. Now, I, I have it. You haven't. I have not. You have not broken a bone? I have not. I had an injury in my right forearm when I was, I'm thinking about nine or ten years of age. Not from falling out of trees like I did in Georgia. Because <laughs> I love, <laughs> love to climb trees. I tell you, I'd fall sometimes. <laughs> I'd land on my back and I'd be like, Ugh. 
good. <laughs> Thank goodness I was young. I, yeah. I did that a few now times. The air, I was, air knocked that in. I was huh? pretty good at climbing trees, but you know, when after a certain number of trees, you're just going to fall. You know? <laughs> true, true that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, me and my cousin had a brilliant idea, and I'm sure people out there would recognize these brilliant ideas, that we would get cardboard. So we were going to make our own little skating rink with opened up cardboard boxes because, you know, there was just grass there. Uh-huh. So we wanted to make it smooth so we could skateboard around. So we laid out cardboard and we got our skates on. And, you know, there's just not a lot of um, surface to for your skates to hold on to. So I set out on my skates, on the cardboard, and promptly fell. (laughs) Well, I fell somehow on my forearm, and I did have to go to the hospital because my aunt was freaking out because it was at her house. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was actually up there for the summer, and um, they put it in a sling, but I didn't have to have a cast because it wasn't actually broke. But, boy, did it hurt. I cannot imagine the excruciating pain to actually break a bone the other thing i think that both you and i have had are volleyball injuries which i'm sure i get a lot of people would understand you know you hit that silly volleyball with your thumbs out at a certain angle and your fingers and i can't imagine volleyball players not having broken or dislocated a number of fingers or thumbs over the course of their practicing and playing. But sure, somebody spikes, tries to spike the ball right into your hands. Also, that happened to me in not so much in volleyball, but in basketball, is that when somebody passed the ball to me, sometimes it would go right, boom. Just, it's my, the angle of your fingers that it hits. Impaction, yeah. Impaction injury. Doesn't, now, I don't think I've broken. Now, you it. were a wrestler. Did yep. you have any, you did, but you didn't break anything? I had anything. A, a shoulder separation or what was close Ow. to a shoulder separation. Actually, sort of pop back on its own within just a couple of seconds. So I did have Yowza. that. Was that in the middle of a meet? Like uh, when you were actually... No, that was actually on a, on a uh, practice... Practice, okay. Yeah, on a practice session. Well, that's good. And <laughs> the coach would always have the wrestlers wrestle somebody in practice much heavier than them. Yeah, so you gained strength. <laughs> right. It was and like so, lifting weights almost. And so I had somebody that was the heavyweight wrestler oh. and he was wrestling oh, me no. and he was 270 pounds oh, and he landed you know landed right on top of me ouch and it was pretty darn bad but it was bad for just for a second as a matter of fact i this is going to sound terrible but i actually it was it hurt so much i had used, i used my other and the guy was still on me he, goes, yeah. he just thought i was wrestling yeah, trying to right, get out right. you know that i actually punched him in the face oh you did not with with the one hand that I had yeah, that was good, and he was out. and and he was pretty close to killing me. If uh, if two Which or three, if three, you're right. If three other guys didn't, what grade were like, you in? Do you remember what was, grade? What grade? I was uh, in 11th, 11th, 11th grade. 11th grade. 11th grade. And so it was uh, pretty amazing. He, he that's scary. It, right. It what happened was is that. You know, when he took a look at me, he knew what, uh, that I was hurt. Okay. But, you know, of course, the rea- natural reaction when somebody whacks you is to whack, whack them back. back. And then, boy, his <laughs> his hand was probably as big as my head. Oh, my you know, gosh. He, he could have killed you. Uh, he could have he killed me. Absolutely. But, but I also have not broken a bone. No, not that we but know of. But the thing of. is, is, now, it's very funny because yesterday 
I actually stubbed my toe. Yes. And that's today, what I talked about at the beginning right, of the show. Right. And today it's bruised and there's a little hematoma there. So yeah. I actually might just have broken the toe. I don't think so, though, because I, I isolated that joint in the middle of your toe and I wiggled the top. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you would have let me wiggle. I mean, it's it's I not comfortable, as, but, it's, but it's not as flexible hurt, as the other joint that I matched the mm-hmm. two joints. And that's, I'm sure, one thing you're going to talk about is looking at the uninjured side and then looking at the injured side and seeing what the difference is. I think the limit of mobility, because you did let me wiggle it, is strictly because of the hematoma and the, the inflammation in there. I think once that goes down, I think you'll have more mobility. Yes. But I do think that you may have kind of twisted it a little bit. That wouldn't surprise me. You may have sprained or strained something in there with a little twist. At all. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Accidents happen, and sure enough, trauma can occur with such force that even bones can be injured, can be damaged. Yes, but wait, what should we have done when you hurt your toe immediately? What? We should, should have, have put ice. <laughs> we should have put ice on it. But my husband has to keep doing work, and when he's doing work, don't disturb him from doing work. I have to work, work, and work. You You're just, right. I have you to just continue to hobble around. Because I have to get things done. <laughs> but I want to tell people what they should have done. Yes. All right, and we'll discuss that later. That's right. Well, anyhow, the in- the funny thing about it is that yeah. you and I. Uh huh. Or have or you, neither you nor I. Let yes. me say this: neither you nor I have actually proven proven at least that we have broken a bone. No, I don't think so. And so I think that is sort of funny because the, we're lucky, right? The average person knock does, on wood. Wait, wait, ready? <laughs> there you go. I'm knocking on the wood. The average person in the United States experiences at least two fractures during their lifetime. That doesn't include broken teeth. And things like that. Oh, now, I did break a little piece of a tooth. Right, but no, that does not. That doesn't. Well, that doesn't. Doesn't, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Good. Absolutely doesn't count. Good. So that's something. Now, of course, later in life, if you're 80 years old and you have these compression fractures that can occur with os- with the loss of bone right. mass, right, you just uh, kind of start collapsing. Right, that's called osteoporosis. That can cause a type of fracture called a compression fracture. Now, there are different types of fractures. There are Several that are common, like non-displaced fractures. A, a non-displaced fracture is the simplest one in which the broken ends of the bone are not particularly out of place. So, in other words, the arm isn't pointing in the wrong we direction. We need to do a video on this. Yes, we definitely should do with something. With pictures of each of, of these each that you're, discru- you're discussing. Right, you're I'm writing right. that down right now. That's right. Now, so non-displaced, yep. basically the simplest type of fracture, the broken bones just pretty much just touching each other just about, but the bone is broken. Then there's displaced fractures where the broken ends of the bones are no longer in line, clearly deformed. If you take a look at it, it's one of those, if you take a look at a, a broken arm or a broken leg that's pointing in the wrong direction, and it just sort of jump. <laughs> you just jump for a second when you see it for the first time. Then there are open or compound fractures. In a compound fracture, the skin has actually been broken by the trauma or by sometimes by the bone itself mm-hmm. and the end of the bone could be exposed or it could have retreated below the level of the skin. These are the some of the scariest Again, I will never forget ones. that one that we saw, that car accident that we oh, yeah. watched with that young girl who didn't stop at her stop sign and pulled right out into traffic. She got hit and it her her car got pushed into a tree. 
Right. She smacked right into a tree broke her femur and broke her right, left right, right femur. Right. Do you remember that yes, bone was sticking straight yep. out of her skin? Yeah, that was I remember one of that one. You know what? There wasn't there wasn't a lot of blood. No, there remember wasn't. it was just like a clean bone sticking out of the skin. But I don't remember there being. It is even scary. a drop of blood. But it can be. It Do can you remember be, that? I'm sure she was. I'm she sure was, was in a, shock. I'm sure there was some kind of accumulation of blood somewhere, Inside, but the good news internal. is that it didn't rupture the femoral artery. So that was very lucky. Yes, yeah, she did, maintained consciousness. Would have been, been a big. She was able problem. to talk to us, although she yep. really had no idea where she was at that right. point. There was some swelling, but uh, well, you know, she she survived. That's she was the young. Thing. I young. can only hope that they were able to put it back together and it healed exactly beautifully. So anyhow, some of the other types of fractures, oblique fractures, which are uh, fractures that occur at an angle. Right. Then there are transverse fractures that go straight across the bone horizontally. And then there's a spiral fracture in which the bones are twisted and you have this sort of rotational spiral break. Well, let me ask you this. You've just talked about um, one that kind of is sideways and one that cuts straight across and one that twists. Of those... It sounds to me like the one that cuts straight across, would you say that would be the easiest one to heal? Yes. I would say that as long as the bones are realigned. Gotcha. So if if they're in line, then you're in good shape and the healing process will begin almost immediately. Sounds like that's also probably talk the about that. easiest to put back together if you're in a survival situation. Yes. Because they, they kind of, it would seem like you would be able to figure out that they've matched up. Right, and easier you than could, something that's twisted, and you can figure out some way split. to splint. Gotcha, it, so that you can splint it. Now, of course, there are some really bad types of fractures. There oh, are yeah. green stick fractures, which sometimes are called an incomplete fracture, where only one side of the bone snaps and the other one remains intact. <laughs> that is a pretty nasty one. I think the worst, one of the worst ones, is a comminuted fracture, and that type of fracture. The bone shatters into several pieces, and that is whether or not whether or not it penetrates the skin. It might penetrate the skin. It might just actually be a piece of the bone that penetrates it. But basically, it's one of those shattering types of fractures that, in the Civil War, almost certainly meant that you were going to have to have an amputation. There, of course, the other end where there is just barely a fracture, a hairline is what, fracture is what they call it. That's where the line of break is so thin that the two broken ends aren't separated and the break doesn't go through the entire bone. That, that you almost have to have an f- x-ray to really figure out that that happened. Now, some fractures incur- encompass more than one of these categories. There are a lot of different ca- categories. For example, a comminuted fracture can be a, an open or a closed fracture. Mm-hmm. In other words, it could be a fracture that, that, you can that actually the skin see is the broken bone, right. yeah, or, or, or may not. May not. Uh, and a transverse fracture, one in which the break is straight across mm-hmm. horizontally, that might be a displaced fracture where the bones are not together anymore uh, and the, the arm is or the leg is like in some weird <laughs> Pointing in some weird direction, right? Or it could be non-displaced, where the bones are still pretty much just a the lot, broken ends are adjacent to each little, other. They're in alignment, That's but right. they're not connected. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Obviously. <they're>, exactly. <laughs> now let me tell you about the how a bone heals. I think this is very interesting because it's. I think it's a miracle. It is that a bone can heal. And Our bodies are 
incredible when it comes to healing. And and younger folks have an advantage over the older folks. They heal like that, it seems. But the older you get, the slower that healing process, that process becomes. becomes so you have true. to do everything possible to keep that going on a, on a quick basis. Right. So let me tell you a little bit about how mm-hmm. the process goes when you break a bone. Things start happening almost immediately. Within a couple of hours, your body is already beginning the process of healing. And how fast you heal, well, that depends on, like you said, age, the location of injury perhaps, and the type of fracture of the many that I just described, uh, which one actually was incurred. Now, once the body knows that the bone was broken, it begins to act immediately, immediately, almost immediately at least, to form a blood clot around the fracture itself. Right. Let me just mention a couple other things that could affect. I would say also chronic illnesses. Yes. People who have uh, issues with maybe diabetes or you know other diseases that, yes. that slow their immune system. Absolutely. Um, and also their nutritional status. Yes. So if we think about survival situations, this is the kind of person that's really going to need some attention to their nutritional um, intake and not be one of the ones that you're trying to starve because you don't have too much food. They are going to need adequate amounts of vitamins and minerals, calcium, protein, don't forget the carbohydrates. I mean, they're really going to need good, good nutrition. They're going to be a priority at this point. Now, a simple form of calcium that people can take is Tums. Tums! Tums is essentially just calcium, calcium carbonate, I think, and it would be a source of calcium. Now, of course, if you're the type of person that has a tendency to develop kidney stones, most of them have calcium in them, and it might not be a great thing for you, but it would be something that would be an inexpensive and stockpileable way yes. to have a source of calcium. I think Tums is pretty stable, too. They keep it in its original containers. Yeah, uh, Yes, they have expiration dates, but it's one of those things that I think is a bunch of hooey. I've uh, used yeah. exp- expired Tums for we, years. We, and have, we have. That's the honest-to-goodness <laughs> truth, folks. That's right. We have tons of expired Tums. Tons, tums of tums. T- expired Tums. <laughs> tons of Tums. And sure <laughs> enough, it works just fine as an antacid, and it also, I'm sure, is an excellent and source And that's how we calcium. would judge it, really, because when you have a little extra acid in your stomach, if it's not working, that would mean somehow it's ineffective. Absolutely. So anyway, I think it's pretty stable. So anyhow, let's say back to what happens when a fracture occurs. Once, yes, the blood, within a couple did, of hours. You mentioned the blood clot, right, yes. Within a couple hours, the ends, ends of the broken bone form a blood clot around the fracture itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's probably coming from the marrow and the small blood Which vessels. Which is why you need to get <clears> it realigned <throat> as soon as possible. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> ASAP. You, so you absolutely are going to talk about that when treating a fracture. Uh, now, once the bones are aligned and the blood clot is there, then special immune cells called phagocytes, start going to the area, start migrating to the area. And the word phagocyte means cells that eat. And what they do is they start cleaning up little bone fragments, they clean up little debris and germs that might get in the way of healing. Mm -hmm. So if you've got some bacteria in that area, the phagocytes are there to try to eat as many of those bacteria, eliminate them if it's possible. Now, next, there are other cells that are called chondroblasts. 
And chondroblasts form connective tissue known as collagen. I'm sure most of you out there I need know more of that in my I've heard face, about collagen. Honey, I need some no, more chondroblasts. Don't. Yeah. We, <laughs> well, I need much more than you do. Let's put it that way. But I only want to look 20. <laughs> so what these things do is form collagen in the area. So yes. right around the fracture of falling collagen, forming collagen. And mm-hmm. that forms this sort of lump that's relatively soft because it's just collagen. It's not bone. Sure. And we call it a soft callus. And that takes about three weeks, up to three weeks. could take just a few days, but mm-hmm. it can take up to three weeks to form. Then special bone cells called osteoblasts then begin to actually create the actual bone. That's new, what you really, bone. really want to get That's to. That's right. And what they do is they add minerals to strengthen the healing area. And that soft callus becomes a hard callus over time, and, and it looks like a thick bump that's on the bone itself. And that's what happens until, I guess, 6 to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And once you have managed to form a hard callus, then most people say that you can begin to do more activity. Uh, but and they might take still going to cast off. a little weak in that area. Will be, it will be weak. Don't don't think you can go jumping off ladders again. Right. Now, they may take your cast off, but you know you can't uh, train for the Olympics, or you shouldn't probably. Yes. So after about 12, six to twelve weeks, the bone begins to remodel itself in such a fashion that it eventually comes to resemble the original structure. The process of remodeling is performed by another type of bone cell called an osteoclast, and so it shapes things to make a final result that looks very much like the original bone. Now, that takes sometimes a couple of years. Sometimes it could take seven or eight years, nine years, dependent on what bone was actually broken. You know, it's funny. um, You know, we watch a lot of history channels, and sometimes they find these mummies from Egypt that have been buried for however many thousands of years they claim. And they put them through the CAT scans. Right. And they try to figure out what the body went through and possibly what caused the death, although I don't think that they've really been able to say exactly. But they start mentioning different injuries. Right. You know, there was a fracture in the head. There was a a, a tooth that had an abscess that was healing. Right. That was some extra formation of, of bone. Right. They, they talk about these things, or maybe somebody had gotten hurt in the ribs, cracked or right. stabbed, and then they know that the person didn't die right away because some of these things afterwards. that you were talking about could be seen. Exactly. It's just crazy what they can see from people that lived so long ago. And they see sometimes damaged ribs <clears throat> or... or a, a break in a bone right. that has not healed. And in that circumstance, if they believe that that break occurred uh, just prior to back death, then, not, right. not when they were trying to dig the bone up, bone, right. the skeleton up, right. well, it could be that that person did not survive long enough to, to have the healing have, process begin. To have any of these soft calluses or hard calluses or any uh, reforming of the bone. They see that um, in the... Uh, Mexican area where they've got all these old, old tribes that had drilled holes. Yes, that's called in the head trepanation. 
And then they see where the bone had actually healed and so by, around that circle. That that didn't kill them. And that particular case, that means that that person survived that. It's incredible. That operation. Right. And what they, they did. They drilled a hole in their well, head. Well, because they believe that there were evil spirits that were in the person's yeah. head. And so, in other words, they took a crazy person and put a hole in their head. Right. And they found. I the, would like to know what their cure rate was. <laughs> well, hole you, in their head. well, you could actually see a number of bones. We've seen a number of skulls in which they did that that didn't have any, any healing, healing yes. at all, which means that that person did not survive. Oh my gosh! The actual operation itself, or, or and died let's just very be clear, there were there was no anesthesia back there. No. They probably took somebody that know. might have Although already they been. Might have had some mushrooms or something grow. Maybe they figured out some way, some hallucinogens that made the person like not remember or kind of leave the world a little bit. Or they you op- never know what they had. They, it's possible they operated on people that were unconscious, in the oh, like hopes of them waking out? them up. You know. Oh, okay. They, they, they were they, already they, unconscious. Well, they're for unconscious some maybe because of the injury that they experienced. Gotcha. So it's really hard to say. We don't know because these, no, we don't these know. are thousands <laughs> of years old, these bones. but And I'm not sure we care to find out too many details. <laughs> it's kind of, ooh. You know, it's like, it's like medieval torture chambers. Oh, yeah. You just, you know, we've seen the equipment. You don't really want to know what was done. Right. It's like when this, we visited it's like a sausage England. factory. You, you love eating the sausage. You don't want to see it being made. No, no. That's right. Well, you mentioned treating a fracture. We'll, we'll take some of the oh, small amount of time raining. that we have left. Oh. We're not going to be able to go on the trail and do the rattlesnake oh, thing. All right. Well, we will. Clear up weather. It could clear up Look soon. at how foggy it is. Well, up here, we're on the top of a mountain. And how sure far enough, are these we up? Clouds, 3,000? 3,000 feet. Probably. I can't even see the city right now. Yep. That's sad, and I hate driving on these steep roads. My truck skids on this one oh, I love it. it's particular exciting. corner. No, this one angle where we have to go around the corner and then go. What's that angle? What's, probably what, about what 60 degrees. About 45, 45 degrees. No, I think it's more than 45. You think it's 60? Mm, I do. Could be. It's very well, scary. very steep. But my, my tires always spin. Yep. All right. Anyway, not something I digress. You don't don't want to walk up it either, because <laughs> it's only if there's an ambulance yeah. at the top yeah. with with a AED. Right there you go. <laughs> right. So anyhow, t- treating a fracture. Let's use some of the remaining time we have yes. to talk about that. Of course, you want to have an EMT shears or a bandage scissors as part of your equipment to cut away clothing to give you a better idea of the extent Absolutely. of injury when Expose it happens. Expose the injury. Right. You want to control any bleeding, of course, but one fundamental rule has to occur with the medical treatment of fractures mm-hmm. and that the broken pieces have to be put back into position and prevented from moving out of place until they're healed. Otherwise, you'll never get the return of the normal function of the limb, yep. let's say. Yep. Uh, in many cases, a medic has to actively work to work the bone back to its normal position. And the reason why that is because the longer that it takes to reduce the deformity mm-hmm. caused by the fracture, well, the more swelling occurs. And this and, and the more painful it becomes to try to straighten things out. It's painful as it is. In normal times, it's pre- this kind of reduction is yep. performed under general anesthesia. And without reducing the deformity, that person loses part or all of the function of the extremity. So 
Don't delay if you have to reduce a broken bone. Uh, even after reduction, the broken bones sometimes don't stay in place. You have to actually put together an apparatus that allows you to keep some traction. Of course, you can do it by yourself. You're going to get tired. So you need to somehow have some stretching on that to keep that bone in the right position. In modern orthopedics, what they do is they put metal pins and screws and things like that, and they insert that into the bone to stabilize the broken ends. Uh, you have pulleys and rigged up all sorts of traction mm -hmm. sy uh, systems. You may have seen it. Oh, remember we learned some of that uh, traction in the wilderness. Yes. And you can actually use... What was that called? The wild wilderness... Advanced Wilderness Expedition Provider Certification Course. Okay, that's a mouthful. Yeah, so yes. That's, that's what we did. Yes. So in an austere setting where modern medical help isn't available, you can still perform it. Let's take a forearm fracture. You hold the upper arm stable, the part closest to the body. You use downward pressure to pull the lower arm until straight. If help is not available, sometimes you can use a fork in a tree to provide support while you exert traction on the area. And in any circumstance, it hurts expect a lot of discomfort that's just the way it's going to be uh, it should be noted that attempting a reduction might damage nerves or blood supply so you always have to check for pulses and sensation yes. uh, beyond the level of the injury after you attempt the procedure to make sure that that is still intact now once the broken ends of the bones are together ice packs elevation stabilization all these things are important to reduce swelling and prevent re-injury Extremity has to be immobilized with an improvised splint or a commercially available SAM splint if you got them. And you make sure the extremity is splinted in what they call a normal position. An arm should be splinted at a 90 degree angle to the elbow, the leg with a slight bend at the knee, fingers as if the person was holding a glass of water. Those are what they call normal positions. And one thing that you should consider for your medical kit is additional supplies like slings and and some of these telescoping crutches, or you can improvise them, of course. That's all the time we have for this week of the Survival Medicine Hour. Thank you so much for listening in, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.